0: I have and have been thoroughly enjoying, really with a joy that I can't even express our going through this book. And um, one of our members made a comment to me a couple of weeks ago that um, that they felt like that there has been unusual power coming to the congregation from this book of which I would rejoice. If that's the truth, and hopefully that same power working in me, these same truths. But this section that we're about to begin in Ephesians 3 has been <clears throat> pleasantly challenging. I was going to say pleasantly convicting, but not really convicting, just challenging personally, and really with uh, questions. I, uh, the past several days, as I have focused in on these verses. I would go to sleep thinking about the passages, praying, asking the Lord questions about the passages. And what I love is, is that when you do that, you actually wake up thinking the same topic. I would wake up and immediately my mind would be on these verses and Uh, prayer and truth concerning this. It's just been a rich feast and I hope that to some measure and to some degree it's being a rich feast for you also as we have been going through here. There's probably no greater book uh, except perhaps the pastoral epistles when it comes to church order but there's no greater book in our New Testament that addresses <clears throat> who we are as a church and as being that in that organic union in Christ and the questions and the answers surrounding those things. We're going to be looking at the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 3, but I want to read the whole chapter because it's really a unit. <clears throat> You'll notice in verse 1, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul. You'll notice in verse 14, you have, for this reason, I. So you have similar expressions there. You'll also note in chapter 3 and verse 1, you have Paul identifying himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And if you note in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord. And so you have this... Kind of connection, this book in here of Paul using these phrases. But let's just read through <clears throat> here the first 20, the 21 verses here in chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable or the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenlies. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And God's people respond, Amen. Amen. So be it. As Gentiles, Paul is reminding us to remember our former position. You'll notice in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, we as Gentiles, really all sinners, were dead in our trespasses and sins. But Paul also wants us to remember our former position. You'll see this in verse 11 when he says, Therefore remember, of chapter 2, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, He'll say it again in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. We as Gentile people had five different aspects in our relationship to Israel and its privileges. We were separated from Christ. We were apart from the Messiah. We were excluded <clears throat> from the citizenry of Israel, or we were alienated from that citizenship. We were unknown to the covenants of promise. When you think about all the number of Gentiles throughout all of human history, all throughout the geographical regions of this earth, and to think how many of them were familiar with the covenants of promise that were given to ethnic Israel. And the answer to that is very wide, Very few. We have glimpses of Gentiles. You think of the city of Nineveh turning to the Lord. <clears throat> you think of certain Gentiles and lepers and other people hearing through servant girls and other aspects. But when you consider that few in relationship to the millions and millions of people that have lived on the face of this earth, We were unknown to the covenants of promises. And because of that, we had no confident expectation of God's mercies. We developed our own gods, our own imaginations, and tried to appease these so-called imaginary gods. We knew that we were under wrath. But we did not know God Himself. In fact, the Bible says that we had no God. We were without God in this world. But yet that Abrahamic covenant was still valid. And that Abrahamic covenant was given prior to the law. And in that covenant, it states that through Abraham's seed, singular, all nations would be blessed. In other words there was something that was going to happen through that promised seed which we know is Christ himself that was going to affect the whole world so that people who not only were near that is near to God through the privileges but those who were far away would have opportunity to be no longer strangers and no longer aliens and had the possibility of being fellow citizens with all the saints and to become a part of the people of God. That is amazing to think about. But in order for that to happen, God had to do something in His Son. He had to create in his son a new man. And in having created that new man, he had to abolish something. He had to abolish the law contained in ordinance, the law commandments contained in ordinances. He had to tear down the separating wall between those two ethnicities. And folks, He did that in His Son. And He did that apart from the law. He did that completely due to this fact that God, before the foundation of the world, blessed believers with every spiritual blessing. What spiritual blessing? The summing up of all things in Christ. A mystery that was unknown to the Old Testament saints, but now has been made revealed. What a great thing for us to know. And folks, sometimes when we don't understand certain things about God, or we may not understand certain details about what He's doing on the face of this earth, we need to understand there are things hidden in God that we don't know. But they are good, and they are holy, and they are going to bring God glory. And when God gets the glory, we get the blessings. Hallelujah for that. Now that brings us all the way down to chapter 3. And on the basis of the fact that this mystery has been revealed Paul now moves to praying another prayer for the believers at Ephesus. And you'll note that if you look at verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul says, for this reason. What reason? Well, immediately this whole building growing into a holy temple in the Lord, immediately this reason, we being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit, How's all this happening? It's happening in Christ. How did that happen? It was God's power bringing to pass all these things in Christ. So for all of that, for the reason of the mystery, Paul wants to pray again for these people. And you'll note in chapter 3 and verse 1, for this reason, and you'll also note in verse 14 the very same phrase, for this reason. And folks, what we have in between verses 1 down through verse 13 is a pause. What Paul wants to do is to move from we're being built together into a dwelling of God by the Spirit, we being growing into a holy temple in the Lord, all of this wonderful revelation about the mystery, and what he wants to do, chapter 3, verse 1, is say, for that reason, I, Paul, bow my knees before the Father. But he's going to pause to communicate something to us about Paul's understanding the uniqueness of his ministry and Paul's place within that mystery does paul have a place in this mystery he does and folks we have a place also in this mystery so paul's moving toward praying but he pauses in this because he wants to let us know about the uniqueness of that ministry chapter three the first seven verses And then his place within that ministry, verses 7 through 13. Now, this really is instructive, his praying. We've already noted that Paul has already prayed for them, hasn't he? Let's go back to chapter 1 and note that prayer. He says in verse 17, He asked the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, to give to the church the spirit of wisdom and revelation, now note this, in the what of Him? Knowledge Knowledge of Him. What is Paul praying for? That they would come to understand the knowledge of, of this mystery. Everybody see that? It involves these aspects, verse 18, that the eyes of our heart or our understanding would be enlightened so that we would, number one, know the hope of His calling. Number two, the wealth or the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And that we would know the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. All of that is coming through the knowledge, or we could say this, the doctrine concerning this hidden mystery that is now revealed. Everybody see that? But folks, Paul's going to pray something different in chapter 3. And what he's going to pray for in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, is he's going to pray that the power of this mystery would effectually work in them. Know what it says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power... Through His Spirit, where? In our inner man. So that these things might happen, so at the end of the day, verse 19, we might be filled up to all the fullness of God. Everybody see that? He's praying that this mystery, the power of this mystery, would effectually work and the church at Ephesus. And having said that, do you see the truth in this? Folks, when Paul writes an epistle, how does he start out? How does he start out? Well, he starts out talking about what? The doctrine that he's going to expound. Right? Right? Every one of them, he starts out with doctrine, teaching, particular truth. Then he goes on to application, or how we are to walk. Everybody see that? He's doing the very same thing in his prayers. He's beginning by praying for our comprehension of the mystery. Now having comprehended this mystery to some measure and to some degree, Paul will now pray for the power of that mystery to be effective and work out in their behavior in the church. The working out of this mystery. And you'll see that, look in chapter 4, he begins, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to, what? Walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What calling? The calling that comes to us in Christ by this mystery that has now been revealed. So everybody see that? He starts out by this, okay? You want to grow in grace? You've got to start with teaching. Amen? Then once you got the teaching, you had the comprehension of that, then let's talk about how you're to work out that teaching in your life. How are we to pray for one another? Well, I hope that you've been praying Ephesians 1 verses 17 and following as we've been going through this book. How do you pray for a church? You start out by praying, Lord, give them an understanding of your word. Give them the knowledge of your word. Then, having that knowledge, now we can pray, let's work it out in the church body. That is super instructive, isn't it? Because, folks... And this is kind of simple. You can't walk in a manner worthy unless you've got the knowledge behind it. In other words, I could say to you, be humble. (laughs) Are we to walk in humility? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, but now you're wondering, now now what's the thing behind that? I know I need to be humble. How am I to be humble? Well, we all sit around and think of different ways and different means by which we can be humble. But Paul says, here's how humility starts, by you understanding the calling. When you and I understand the calling of this mystery, that summing up of all things in Christ, now we know how to walk in humility. Now we see how to walk in love. Now we understand why we should flee fornication. Now I understand why I'm to have the home that I'm to have. Now I understand what it means to love my wife like Christ loved the church. That just fills it all in. Folks, the Holy Spirit can't use what's not there to have you walk in a proper way. And the Holy Spirit always uses the Word of God. And I was thinking this morning as I was meditating on this, I said this is amply illustrated in Genesis chapter 1. You've got the Holy Spirit hovering over all that uh, material, right? That creative material that God had. What's the Holy Spirit using, as it were, to bring to pass order and no chaos with all those building materials? Let there be light. The words given and the Holy Spirit by that word energizes and works and brings together. And folks, this word, this doctrine, this teaching has to come to us with a comprehension and an understanding so that then we can say, Lord, empower me in my inner man so that I can walk according to that doctrine, that teaching, that understanding in my day-to-day life. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms us by the very power of God in our inner man. And folks, Paul does this in every epistle. We don't always have prayer for the comprehension of this, but in those epistles he prays for this, but he always starts off with teaching in every one of his Pauline epistles. And folks, that power that Paul is desiring in chapter 3 for us to be strengthened with in verse 16 is the same power that we've already read about in chapter 1 and verse 20. It is the strength of his might, the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. It was that power doing this in the Son of God. It's the same power, look in chapter 3, look down at verse 7, of which Paul was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his what? His power. And it's the same power that Paul prays to work in believing people in chapter 3 and verse 16, That Paul wants us to know what is this surpassing power that has come to us as believing people. That same power. It's an amazing thing that Paul is praying for this. He is praying large prayers, isn't he? For the church, the body of Jesus Christ himself. And so Paul begins this with a pause from his praying I am so glad that he did. Sometimes people will call this a digression or parentheses, but as I was mentioning earlier to someone, when I say this is parenthetical, or I say this is a digression, we kind of in our minds say, well, this is a little bit lesser on the revelatory scale. This is the words of Christ to us. It's not just Paul taking a pause. It's who? Christ taking a pause in His voice to us. Now Paul delays the communication of what he has been praying for them in order to give the uniqueness of his ministry. That is, he had revealed to him the understanding of this mystery, and I think we could argue that his understanding of that mystery was way more comprehensive than any of the other apostles or prophets. Why do I say that? Well, because he says he's written about this briefly. And it also says in Corinthians that Paul was given many revelations of Jesus Christ. So many that he had to have a what in the flesh a thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself. I think you could argue that his understanding was way more comprehensive. And folks, he would call this mystery, look at verse 3, when he says that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. Verse 4, I want you to understand my insight into the mystery. He gives part and parcel of what that means in verse 6. And then he says this mystery, look at verse 8, is that his ministry is to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable wealth of who? Of Christ. And he calls that, verse 9, bringing to light what is the administration of the mystery. I have argued that the mystery, if we go back to chapter 1 and verse 10, is simply the summing up of all things in Christ. These aspects, our participation, one body, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, all of that are sub-blessings under that overarching blessing. And, folks, Paul understood the wealth of this, the riches of this, the unfathomable riches of this. And I had to ask myself do I comprehend? the unfathomable wealth of this. And when we think of wealth, we think of... We think of money. But God, in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself is greater wealth than anything. In fact, Paul understood the exceeding riches of this knowledge because, folks, he was more than willing to suffer for this knowledge. Right? He was more than willing to experience persecution over this knowledge. He was more than willing to suffer the lack of bodily health and personal affliction. He was willing to suffer shame for this. And he was more than willing to be imprisoned. He says in chapter 3 and verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. He wasn't a prisoner of Rome. He wasn't even a prisoner of the Jews. He was imprisoned to Christ spiritually. Of course he was bound to Christ, wasn't he? But physically in this Roman jail. He was willing to suffer all that because he understood the wealth of this knowledge, the revealing of this mystery. Now folks, when you want to ask yourself, how much value do I put on this mystery? What price tag do I put on this, on this mystery? What price tag do I put on the riches of Christ? You've got to get a scale, right? Right? And folks, on this scale, you put Christ. What would you put on the other side of the scale? How would you compare how you value it? And folks, what the Bible says on how to measure your evaluation... Of how wealthy this is to you is to put on one side Christ and on the other side put your life. Your life. Listen to what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He told the Ephesian church elders. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. What's he putting on the other side of that scale? His what? His life. He says in Acts chapter 21 and verse 13, when Agabus comes and bounds his feet and says, this is what awaits you in the city of Jerusalem. He tells that church, I am ready not only to be bound, but even die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's do it, right? Let's think to ourselves. On one side, this knowledge. A knowledge, a part of that knowledge has been hidden in God since before the foundation of the world. But is now revealed. Let's on the other side put your individual life Which is more important? Which do you value more? Everybody with me in this estimation? We're trying to determine as a church, you individually, us as a church, how do we value the unfathomable riches of Christ? We have to measure it against our own life. How willing are you in your life to suffer shame? And shame's a real thing. And shame has power associated with it. How willing are you in your life to be willing to suffer the lack of bodily health? Or maybe as a young person you've thought about going to the hard places of the world to tell people about the riches of Jesus Christ. How willing are we to suffer affliction or persecution or loss of job or a loss of income, or a loss of our reputation. How willing are we to suffer, and there is a suffering associated with this, greater attendance of God's disciples in a local New Testament church. How willing are we to suffer a lack of disciples in a local New Testament church? How willing are we to go against, as it were, the grain of the world? When the world says, no, the wealth involves the dollar, the wealth involves equality, the wealth involves succumbing, the wealth involves setting aside the teachings of the New Testament. Those are really the measures, are they not? And I had to walk away from thinking about this myself, And thinking how far short I fall. Paul's a sinful man. He's not sinless, is he? And yet he does mean what he says. My life is not dear to me. What is dear to me is the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And the willingness to communicate that knowledge to a group of people that were separated from the promises and alienated and don't know God at all. I'm willing to suffer those things. That's an amazing comparison. Because at the end of the day, what you're going to need with this, is grace. You're going to need grace. And that's exactly what he says in verse 2 of chapter 3 when he tells them, he says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for who? For you, for you Gentiles. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter might be an apostle to the Jews, Christ sent me to the Gentiles. Doesn't mean he never witnessed to Jews, right? Doesn't mean that Peter never witnessed to Gentiles. But here was how they were gifted: He had been given a stewardship of grace. Paul, through Christ, through the gospel, was administering grace to other people. That's what that means. God administered this in Paul's life, revealed this mystery, and now that grace, Paul's taking that grace, which is involved in the knowledge of Christ, and he's given it to other people. His whole ministry is on their behalf. And folks, when we're talking about preaching the unfathomable riches of Christ, we're also talking about bringing to light the administration of this mystery. That's why Paul was given the grace. It involved the mystery. Look at verse 3. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. Now there's a lot of debate over what is meant by what I wrote before in brief. There are those who think there might have been a previous epistle. There are those who think that perhaps, perhaps the epistle to the Colossae church was meant to be circulated around, and that Paul had wrote that epistle before he wrote the epistle to the Ephesians. Other people disagree with that. They were basically written, these prison epistles, all generally at the same time, At the same time. <clears throat> I think, and if you differ, that's fine, but I think that when he says... This mystery, as I wrote before in brief, I think he's talking about the first two chapters of this epistle. Would you agree with me that Paul could have expounded on any one of those? Yes. And he does in other epistles, like the book of Romans talks about adoption. I think he wrote this down in a concise form and I think it refers to Ephesians 1 and 2 not only for that but because of what he writes after that. Look at verse 3 again. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief verse 4 by referring to this this what? mystery, which I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you what? Everybody see that? When you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Isn't that fascinating? When you read, When you read what? This epistle. Right? When you read this epistle. When you read... Well, folks, we know from several passages that the early church read... They had a public reading of the Scripture in their services. Paul would write to Timothy, until I come, give attendance to reading. And we also know, let's just turn to Revelation chapter 1. And we'll see this very plainly. We also know from Revelation chapter 1 that the epistles that John sent were meant to be read in the churches. And you'll see that in verse 3. Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed is he. Plural or singular? Singular. Blessed is he who reads. Everybody see that? So you got a, a person who's reading. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear. Those, singular or plural? Plural. So what's going on here? This book of Revelation written down and scripturated by John. We had the many epistles of those seven churches. We had the whole epistle of the revelation of Jesus Christ sent to those churches. What were they to do with that epistle? They were to gather God's people together, right? And someone was to stand up and do what? Read the letter, read the epistle to the congregation. And of course, as the years went by, you would end up taking sections of what was read and then expounding on it in a message. So here's the congregation meeting. Blessed is he that reads. I just read these verses at the start of this passage. I was blessed to be able to read the word of God to you, translated in our own language. And if you hear those words and you obey them, you are what? You are blessed. And so when we go back to Ephesians 3, I think that's what is happening. The Ephesian church would have been gathered it would have been an exciting day. We have a, an epistle from the apostle. And they gather there in that church, and Paul says, now you, you, if indeed you have heard, I don't think he's saying you haven't heard. It's like, well, if indeed you've done something, what I mean by that is surely you've done this. Surely you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. I've written it in brief, Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. And as this epistle is being read, one of the things that the church should walk away with is my comprehension, my understanding, my insight into the mystery of Christ. So let's ask ourselves, have you walked away like that? Have you walked away saying, Paul, you, you've you got a handle on something that I don't have a handle on. You really have an understanding of this, that you could understand something so thoroughly and so comprehensively that if I was to write about it, it would take volumes and volumes and volumes. You could take all that and just squeeze it down in in, in Ephesians 1, verse 3, all the way down through verse 16, resuming it in chapter 2, talking about this one new man. This is amazing that you could do that. You really know something when you can squeeze it down into a concise statement. And folks, that is important because if we really understand that Paul really understands this, it gives him credibility because this is new revelation. Did you hear that? This is new revelation that is coming to us. That mystery, which is being brought to light through the preaching of the unsearchable riches of Christ, according to that eternal purpose, Paul is doing this, taking it to the Gentiles, this summing up of all things in Christ. And folks, that mystery was unknown to the Old Testament saints. Now that's important for us to understand. The church was not revealed in the Old Testament. Sometimes covenant theologians, you'll read them, they'll talk about Moses and the church in the wilderness. Well, I know what they're trying to say. That nation was a gathered people, right? But they were not a church. (laughs) When they translate it that way or speak about it that way, they are betraying their biases. This is a new man, right? A new man in Christ Jesus. But, look at what it says, it is now revealed, look at verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, that would be New Testament, and prophets, that would be New Testament, in the Spirit. It was revealed to them, although like I have said, Paul's understanding was way more comprehensive than I think the others. Now let's think about this just for a second. The Old Testament did reveal certain things about the Messiah. It revealed that he would be coming. The Old Testament revealed that the Gentiles would be impacted by the Messianic reign. The Old Testament revealed that this Messiah was to be glorious. Am I right? it revealed also that that Messiah was going to suffer. But what it did not reveal <clears throat> is that in some way and somehow in the Messiah, in Christ, all things were to be summed up. Whether they be in heaven or whether they be on earth, everything summed up in the person of the Messiah. That was not revealed in your Old Testament. In fact, folks, even today, as the Jews read those Old Testament things about the Messiah, what they walk away with is this, is that the Messiah has not come, He is to come, and that when He comes, He is to raise that ethnic nation above the Gentile nations and lording over the Gentile nations. That's the way they read those passages. But what we're going to find out is, there is one new man, look down at verse 6... And it's not the Jew lording over the Gentile. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers. Everybody see that? Now folks, I just want to bring out a few things about summing up all things in Christ. Did God do that? Yes. Think about this. The New Testament says, Jesus Christ is our High Priest. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. Jesus Christ is our knowledge. Jesus Christ is our temple. Jesus Christ is our sanctification. Jesus Christ is our redemption. Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus Christ is our grace. Does that sound like everything's being summed up in one person? The New Testament says that Christ is the new humanity comprised of regenerated Jews and regenerated Gentiles. Christ is the church. Did you hear that? Christ is the church. It's His body, yes? Christ is the head. Christ is our resurrection. Christ is my life. Christ is my King. He's our priest. He's our prophet. He's our apostle. Do I need to go on? Everything we need, have, and possess is all in Him. Everything has been summed up in Christ. We're even seated in heavenly places because we are in Christ. And folks, that's what makes this gospel and Christ unfathomable wealth. Everybody see that? Everything we need, and we read in our scripture reading in Colossians, hear this, in Him you were circumcised, In Him you have been made complete. No lack. In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So don't be led astray by the philosophies of this world. And folks, any step you get away from, everything's been summed up in Christ, you are going astray. Christ is the consummation and the summing up and this what I just said to you and I could have kept going on. What I just said to you is new revelation. New revelation. And one of those things that was not revealed in that summing up was the incorporation of Jews and Gentiles into one body in Christ. You remember our Lord hinting at this? In John chapter 10, <clears throat> He said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. other sheep I have. Folks, when he says, I lay down my life for the sheep, he's talking about Jewish believers. Then he says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them I must bring, and there will be one fold and one what? Do you hear Christ referring to this? I am positive those disciples had no comprehension of what he was talking about. And, folks, that brings us down to verse 6. <clears throat> we are fellow heirs. That means that Jews and Gentiles inherit the same inheritance together. Together, we are, verse 6, fellow members of the body. How many bodies are there? One body, we belong to the same body. Jews and Gentile believers belong to the same body, the same people of Christ. And, folks, this is why go back a couple of pages to Galatians at the end of Galatians chapter 6. And look at what he says in verse 15. I'm just going to dip in here. He says, For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision. Well, Paul, what's, what's important? A new creation. Everybody see that? And those who will walk by this rule, that is the rule of the new creation... Peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the what of God? The Israel of God. Everybody see that? Folks, what did God say in Hosea? Out of Egypt I have called my son. Well, folks, who came out of Egypt? Well, Israel did, didn't they? Folks, Christ is our Israel. Christ is the Prince with God. Don't you agree with that? That's what that name means. And there is an ethnic Israel and they still have certain promises that have to be brought to pass for that ethnic nation, but there is a true Israel of God of which we belong to the same body. Verse 6, we're not only heirs together, members of the same body together, we are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Folks, we share in the same promises. Jews and Gentiles are on equal standing in Christ. All the promises of God in Christ are Yes and amen to the glory of God. We share in those same promises. The promises of a kingdom, the promises of a king, the promises of a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells We share in all those same promises. And folks, all of this is by grace. Alright, how do we get it? Look in verse 6 fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And what is the gospel? Christ. Right? The good news is all summed up in one person. Christ. Everything we need summed up in Christ. We lack nothing. We have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness in Him. This new man, created in Christ Jesus, is attained through the gospel of grace. It is not attained by law. Whether you're talking mosaic or whether you're talking moral values, it is not attained because of some ability inherent in man. Paul has denied that in Ephesians two, eight through ten. This is a workmanship of God by grace in Christ. Is that riches? That will really that will really give you some boldness. And folks, when you share these riches, it doesn't mean that your riches are depleted. <laughs> it's unfathomable. It's eternal. It's as infinite as God Himself. Now as I conclude... Folks, I think that if you give it some thought, you can understand why this was so disturbing to that ethnic nation of Israel. Can you imagine, just imagine if this if if this was us? Just imagine a Jew, a Jew persecuting the church. Converted by the grace of God, Given an understanding of this mystery, turns around and now says to that ethnic nation, I want you to know, thus saith the Lord, that the Gentiles are on the same level ground as you are in Christ. What do you think they would say? Well, folks, we know because when Paul was at the temple and he asked the centurion soldier, could he speak to the crowd? And he spoke to the crowd in Hebrew. And he told them about his conversion. And they listened attentively. He told them about the light that struck him down. And then he said this, He said to me, depart from here. I will send you to the Gentiles. And when he said that, all violence broke out. Do you hear that? And how would you like it if somebody walked in our back door and said, I just wanted you to know there's some new revelation from God. And it's never been revealed before. Here it is. Paul saw it as unfoundable wealth. And so folks, what this section, chapter 3, is dealing with, I summed it up with this statement. <clears throat> God the Father gifted grace to Paul to administer the riches of Christ By bringing to light the mystery for the glory and for the good of the Gentiles in order that God the Father's wisdom would be made known to all people whether heaven or earth and it would bring God the Father glory in this new man. The church of Jesus Christ. That is true riches. Let's pray.